Well, it was sometime in October of 2005, and I was waiting nervously outside the ensuite of the bedroom that we had in our home, and Ralna was in the ensuite, and a couple of, after a couple minutes passed, she came out holding a little stick, and on that stick was two little lines that told us that after waiting for a long time, we were going to have a little baby. I'd like to tell you that the next nine months, we just kind of pranced through and it was just easy going, but me being a nervous wreck that I am, they were the longest nine months of my life because I'm impatient and I don't like to wait for things. We just slowly, one step at a time, took steps forward towards the day, the due date that our baby was supposed to be born. We'd go to visit the doctor and uh, actually the maternity clinic, and as we would go into the maternity clinic, uh, I would lean in, and I'd look at the doctor, and with very serious uh, question, I'd say, just tell me one thing. It's going to have its mother's looks, right, and not mine? <laughs> Chances are good. Whew. What about her brains? She can have the, the, her mother's brains and not mine? Yeah, things are good. And so we would ask ridiculous questions, and they would do their tests and assessments, and one step at a time, we would journey towards our big day. I remember the day that the crib arrived, and it arrived on our front step. It's a long story. It came out of the box, no instructions, and so we came inside, and you know, we had these, I had these romantic ideas that it was going to all go smoothly, and Ralna, being very wise and discerning, and a person I should listen to, says, I think you should do it this way, and I said, Ralna, come on. I know what I'm doing. I'm the guy, and so we started building this, and it wasn't going right, and I lost my temper, and I had to apologize, and Again, it was just one slow step towards our due date of June the 15th, one step at a time. I remember taking prenatal classes, and the instructor there made it very clear that as a dad, I was the most useless person in the room when the baby was going to be born. But I did have a job, and my job was to make sure that Ralna was going to be relaxed and comfortable as much as she could be. And so my job was to help her with her breathing. And so the due date comes, June the 15th, and nothing happens. The plan was that Ralna's folks were going to come a couple of days after the due date, and June the 15th came and went, and June the 16th came and went, and we're just like sitting, and time is passing even slower at this point, and we just waited and waited. Minutes seemed like hours, hours like days, days like weeks, weeks like months. It just dragged by, and her parents came, and the baby was supposed to be here. We had it all planned out, but life got interrupted, or it, it, it just wasn't getting interrupted like we wanted it to. And then on the 10th day after the June the 15th passed, on June the 25th, the doctor said, well, that's enough. So they induced Ralna. And we went in the hospital, and in living color, I realized how useless I was in that birthing suite. And we sat there, and Ralna was doing her thing. She was like a superhero, like this was Wonder Woman in the flesh. And it started to get hot and heavy like it does, and I'm not allowed to talk about that, so I told Ralna I wouldn't. But in that moment, I leaned in, and to help her with her breathing, I just looked at her, and I said, okay, sweetie, let's do this. One, two, buckle your shoe. Three, four, shut the door. And she said, don't shut the door, but shut your mouth. <laughs> and a few minutes later, a few minutes later, we had our moment. And there in a birthing suite in a hospital, doctor pulls out our little girl. I couldn't believe it. There she was. She came out a little bit flat because 
you can ask for all of this story. She got two epidurals that day. One didn't, they didn't think worked and it did. And then so they put in another one. And so Claire came out and she was quiet. The doctors quickly whisked her away to this kind of, I don't know, crib kind of a thing that they use in the corner and they're working on her. And after a few minutes, we heard this little squawk and there she was. They worked on her for a few minutes and cleaned her up and they gave her to Ralna and she held her and and then they brought her over and they put her on the scale. And the nurse called me over. And there on the scale, it said, seven pounds, 11 ounces. They said to me, what's her name? And I said, her name's Claire. Claire Jordis Moore. And the nurse said, I need you to watch her for a moment. So as the nurse leaves, I look down for the first time. It's just me and my little girl all by ourselves. And I look down into her little blue eyes. And she looks up at me, and she reaches out her hand, just like this. And I held her hand, and for the first time in my life, I was a dad. And in the craziness of that place, through all the pain and suffering that I didn't endure, but of course Rollin did, <laughs> in the messiness of that moment, it all faded away. And there we had this moment of deep, profound joy as a family. God blessed us. And I remember when Claire came out of the womb and she was quiet and flat and it was just such an intense moment. I didn't know what to do. And so I just begged and I pleaded with God. I held her on his hand and I tried to stay close and I just pleaded. And it was like, Lord, have mercy. Lord, bless us. And, and he did. He answered those prayers. And that pain and that suffering, it went away. Those memories, they just dissolved. And there as we sat as a family. Those nine months of step by step, moment by moment, it just went away. And we were overcome and we were overfilled with a powerful joy. Friends, it's a similar truth that we discover as we look into the Gospels and, and read the stories of Christ's birth. As Mary and Joseph are planning for the arrival of this Christ child, when the moment finally comes, it's one of profound joy, of wonder, of awe, of worship, of majesty. It's the heavens parting and the pleasure and delight of the Father coming onto the earth, captured and found in a baby. And I think for us, as we study the story of Joseph this morning, and as we're in this series called What Child Is This? We really want to answer and satisfy two things here today. The first is that we want to discover more about this Christ child. Who he was. Why did he come to this earth? What does he give us in this season? And the second thing is we want to learn through the life of Joseph. How in the midst of a messy, busy, hectic, crazy season. A season that had a massive mid-course correction that we'll talk about in a moment how he postured his life to find deep joy. And I think it's so timely because this season that we're in now, it's busy, it's messy, it's, it, it's full of delight and sorrow, it's full of joy and pain, it's got all of these moments, and yet through it all, I think through the life of Joseph, we can discover a formula to increase the joy quotients in our life. I'm convinced, friends, and I'm doing an experiment in my own life right now that if we live our lives in three specific ways, then in this season, no matter whether it's thick or it's thin, 
no matter if it's, if it's heavy or light, we can increase the joy that we experience and the joy that we know. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to, or I'd invite you to open them to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. We're going to read this together, and uh, I'll read from my Bible. It'll come up on the screen behind me if that's of help to you. But starting in verse 18, let's read the Word of God and the account of Jesus' birth. Let's read together. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to, quiet, to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do, and he took Mary home as his wife. But, when he, had no union, uh, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. If you were to remember one thing from this morning, I would encourage you to remember three words. Okay, if you're going to remember three things from this morning, I would encourage you to remember three words. The words are obedience, their presence, and their adoption. And if you want to increase measures of joy through this season and increase measures of joy through all seasons of life, if you can practice presence obedi or obedience, presence, and adoption, or the remembrance of adoption, God is going to bless you and he's going to fill you to overflowing in ways that you might not have previously experienced. We all understand when life gets interrupted, don't we? Moments of inconvenience or frustrations, unexpected events or visitors or expenses or, or traffic jams or illnesses that just have ways of changing uh, our directions or, or even just causing us to adjust our schedules a little bit. It happens all the time. It's happened this morning for me. Things that I had planned that would go well or things that conversations I had planned to have for whatever reason, sometimes in life, oftentimes in life, there are little interruptions. But also in life, there are also moments where we have massive mid-course corrections where we step into something or somebody delivers news or something happens that completely alters the trajectory of our lives and affects the joy that we experience or can experience. And I think this is what we discover in the beginning of the story here of Matthew, in Matthew, as he talks about the account of Jesus' birth. Joseph was a righteous man. And in him being a righteous man, I think I can safely assume that he had some priorities in life figured out pretty well. And his life was basically like clockwork. If he was going to live with God and for God, then he had to do certain things every day. So in my life, if I'm a righteous person, it probably means things like I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to read the Bible. Throughout the course of the day, I'm going to pray. I'm going to eat my meals. I'm going to spend time with people. I'm going to try and watch for opportunities to be generous. I'm going to do certain things that are predictable and that are, that are patterns in my life that will help me to live with Jesus and for Jesus. And I have to believe this was the case with Joseph. And that in the beginning of this story, we find out that as this man was plotting out his life, and as he was a good man, he was pledged to be married to Mary. 
and this is probably what good Jewish men did back in the day, there's a massive mid-course correction. He finds out she's pregnant. And I think Joseph did what so many of us try to do when we have these massive mid-course corrections come, or even in the little things. When life gets interrupted, we watch for opportunities to grab the reins and quickly try to adjust to get life back on course, to save face, to remove shame, to, to just make sure that it's going wa- to, to work out smoothly. I think this was the intention of Joseph's heart, but being a righteous man and probably being um, a, a, a man of grace, uh, a man that was aware of, of the effects of his actions on the dignity of others, he says, okay, Mary's pregnant. It's not my kid. I'm going to make this quietly go away. And he confronts a problem that we all face. We all try to take the reins and we try to steer the ship ourselves. And so he's just going to quietly divorce her. She can go her way. I can go my way. We can get on with life and not worry about it. And yet God invites him to something much different than the plan that he had. Friends, we have to appreciate that when interruptions come, uh, oftentimes they're the result of many things, but oftentimes it's the case that when interruptions come in life, rather than being inconvenience to inconveniences to us, they're oftentimes opportunities for us to experience the grace of God in powerful ways. And this is what we see in Joseph. He's a righteous man, and so he goes to bed one night thinking through this plan, and as he does, an angel of the Lord appears to him. And as he's considering this, in a dream, the the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God challenges him from taking the reins to letting the reins go and letting God um, help him step forward. He presents a challenge to him and invites him into a journey of obedience rather than fleeing away and running from his problem. And I think that as we consider the problems that we face in life, whether they're good problems or bad problems, so often they're opportunities for us to experience the grace of God and to look to God. When we come to these interactions or the encounters, we have the opportunity to either look up and hold our hands open and say, okay, God, what would you have me do? Or we can look at our feet and try to find out our own plans. We start to ask these these interruptions or these inconveniences force us to work through a series of probing questions and they force us to consider the foundation that our lives are built upon. Are we going to move forward in our way with our own strategy or are we going to trust God and believe that he is good? Disruptions in life are oftentimes um, God's way of taking off blinders in us, but they're also opportunities. As much as they're disruptive, for us to follow and obey a commandment or a calling of God rather than trying to run and find our own way. But here's the thing about it. Here's what's fascinating. While these things are often inconvenient and often hard, when we look to God and we hold our hands open and we say, okay, God, what would you have me do? When we walk forward in that, rather than life always being hard and thick and difficult, and I'm not saying that necessarily goes away, what it does is that God gives to us joy in the midst of that journey. When we run from God, we often find anxiety in the journey. But when we run to God, and we listen to Him, and we obey Him, and we step forward in what sometimes can seem like the most ridiculous of journeys, God always blesses us with joy. 
And he always fills us to overflowing in ways that we could never accomplish by ourselves. And so the first step in discovering joy, friends, is that we have to appreciate that joy often follows obedience. And while the first step of that is often very hard, the subsequent steps typically lead us to deeper measures of joy and deeper measures of fellowship with God, even when our own pathways seem easier. This is a great season. It's a great season where as Christians, we often receive prompts from God or, or we often get uh, disrupted in life to do something that might be different than the plan that we have. And so it's a season where oftentimes as we get together with people, God might invite us to be generous. And you go and look at the bank account and you're like, oy vey, there's no way that I can do this right now. But you trust God and you say, okay, God, if I'm going to step out here, then I need you to provide. Or maybe it's that you're going to get together with some friends and you're going to share your story. Or you're going you're to tell them the, the story of Jesus. Or you're going to share the gospel with them. Whatever it is. And you're like, okay, God, I know their hearts. I know what the night's been like. I know what this conversation's been. To take it to that place is going to be crazy right now. But if that's where you want me to go. Maybe your prompting is that you need to go and make things right with somebody. And as crazy as it seems, as hurtful as they've been, when you've prayed, you've just sensed, you've been overwhelmed and, and you've been filled to say, okay, I know it's my time to go. And so you lay down your sword and you go and you spend time with that person. And you say something like, you know what? I know that I wronged you. But in the spirit of this season, with a prompting from the Holy Spirit, I think it's time that we make things right. The first step is always hard, but the result of obedience is always deep joy. And that's so important for us to appreciate and realize throughout this Christmas season and always. Well, as we are people who are searching for joy through this season, one of the things that we see in, in the life of Joseph is this desire for obedience, but we also see this in the life of Jesus. And I have to think that when Jesus was, was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew what he was being asked to do. He knew that he was supposed to go and hang on a cross. He knew that there was this brutal road that he was going to have to go down. And in the middle of the night in the Garden of Gethsemane, I have to think that in the flesh, he knew there was a way out. He could have run away. He could have disappeared and nobody would have ever seen him again. But instead, he chose to embrace the journey. And the result of that was that joy came to this earth in a way that was never experienced before. The curse of sin was broken. The, the eternity was ours. The Holy Spirit was given to us because one man stepped forward in obedience. Never lose sight of the value of stepping forward in obedience. It will lead to joy in your life and others. It's modeled in Joseph and it's seen in Jesus and we're blessed because of it today. Well, the second thing that we need to consider as we consider how to fill our joy quotient is presence. In this story, we see in Joseph a man who shows up, a man who gets it, a man who is so blessed. It doesn't necessarily say uh, directly here that Joseph was filled to overflowing with joy or that, that God blessed him in specific ways, but we see him throughout this story. For whatever reason, in, you know, we only read about the story of Joseph in Matthew and in Luke, but in both those instances, there's a man who's present. And a man who gets blessed because he is present there. Joseph has these three dreams. And in each of these dreams, he is, he is righteous enough. He's close enough to God that he recognizes the voice of God. And he stays in the moment. Or he leads his family forward in the moment. 
The first dream in Matthew chapter 1, he doesn't run away from his problem. And so he stays in the moment and God blesses him. The second dream in Matthew chapter 2 is that God reveals to him that harm is coming his family's way. And so he flees. God protects him. And he's present with his family. And and he blesses his family. God blesses his family. And Joseph blesses his family for being in tune with God. In the third dream, Joseph hears from God that he can come back to Israel. And he's blessed because of it. Friends, when we are present with others, our joy quotient fills. That's what this season is all about. It's all about spending time together, spending time as as a church, as family, as friends. It's about spending time with others. And I realize that not all of us are going to spend time in big circles like this. This is a circle that we sit in once a week, and we love this circle. It's a good circle. We're a family, and God blesses us here, as he's done today. But in the day-by-day moments that we spend time, there's a blessing that comes, not when we spend time by ourselves or when we're isolated or when we're alone, but when we spend time together in community. And it might just be one or two people. It might just be your family. It might just be your coworkers. It might just be your friends. It could be your neighbors. Whatever it is, God blesses and does some of his best work to fill our joy quotient when we spend time together. In Luke chapter 2, we see a picture of this. And again, it doesn't specifically say that Joseph was filled with joy or he sat there in awe. But because of the people around him, I think we can make a safe assumption to say that Joseph shared in the wonder of these moments that they had as they sat at the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 15, it says that the angels, the angels came to these shepherds. It says this actually in verse 8. The angels came to the shepherds. And they invited them to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. And so they said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. They announced the arrival of of the Messiah. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then they say, go and see him. And so they do. The angels leave and the, the, the shepherds, they rush. They go to Bethlehem. They go and they sit at the feet of Jesus. It says in verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were laying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. There's awe and there's majesty and there's wonder in these moments, friends. And there is Joseph present with his family present with his family, sitting beside his son. And I have to think that his joy is just overflowing in these moments. God loves to bless his people when they're together. And it's not a coincidence that in this season, we love to spend time together. We sing carols of the faith. We read these passages. We come to events like Simply Christmas, or we we, we set up the manger scene, or the We light the Advent candles together. These are moments that we share in together. And when we look to Jesus together, he fills us to overflowing and he blesses us. And wasn't this just what Jesus was all really about? A couple of weeks ago I shared, I've been caught in wonder and awe this season at the, the reality that Jesus came to the earth, came to this earth in the flesh. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh, and the flesh came to dwell amongst us. It's communal language. 
Jesus came in the flesh and then came to spend time with people. And the best parts of his ministry, the most effective times, the most miraculous times, the most transformational times came when he rubbed shoulders with others. Whether it's the woman at the well in Samaria or the woman who touched the hem of his robe, he just stops and he gets down and he spends time with her. And it was countercultural. The disciples tried to pull him away. They said, there's no time for this. We have to go. And yet Jesus created margin in his life to spend time with that woman, to get on her level, and to bless her. I shared a couple weeks ago of the call of Levi to be a follower of Jesus. And the next scene, Jesus is in Levi's home having a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus practiced this. He steps into our life. He is present with us. And when we spend time together, there's a blessing that comes as we engage and look to Jesus together. There's so many blessings that come. And I believe we rob ourselves of joy when we hold those inside and we keep them to ourselves. When we sit down together and reflect on the blessings of Jesus, friends, it fills us in powerful ways. Every year at Christmas, one of the gifts we give, and she's in the room, she already knows that we've made it, but one of the gifts we give to Ralna is we give her a highlight video of the year. So we take all the pictures, and my goodness, with these things, do we ever have a lot of pictures? We take all the pictures, and we put music to it, and there's videos, and we put it all together, and we create this highlight video for Ralna. It's awesome. So she'll get it on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. I tried to give it to her yesterday because I'm impatient, and she said, no, I had to wait. But yesterday, I had the opportunity to sit down with our girls. So Ralna and Claire wrote for a little while, and Adria and I sat upstairs, and she sat on my knee, and we held each other. She put her little arms around my neck and choked me out, and we sat there, and we watched the video. And then later, when Claire got home, we snuck downstairs, and we quietly, we put the sound down, because Ralna was upstairs, and I was scared she was going to hear it. And we watched the video together. It was amazing, friends. Jaden wants to watch it with his mom, so he's better than us, but... It was amazing to sit together and with tears in our eyes remember and reflect on the blessings of Jesus this last year. Blessings where we spent time together. Blessings where we loved one another. Blessings where we served our community. All these things where we come together in Jesus' name. It lifts us. It fills us. So many reasons why we can be discouraged in life. But friends, when we come together and we're present with one another, God fills our joy quotient. And he blesses us. I've got one very quick minute, so I want to address something about being present with each other. That God's laid on my heart this last week and is a part of my own story. It's a part of my journey that I've been trying to figure out. And it all has to do with this. The reality is, is that these devices were created for great reasons. And we use these devices, oftentimes with great intention, to connect with one another. That can happen through social media or phone calling or text messaging or email or whatever. But it's often the case that our devices, whether our, they're our phones or our tablets or our computers or whatever we're using, our tablets become instruments of distraction rather than instruments of connection. And I'll just share with you, friends, I'll confess to you that it's a big part of my story over this last number of years. But, uh, you know, it's been really addressed this last year that this thing has removed me from being present with others. And I have awesome people in my life who've just said, 
Your phone has become a distraction. And you've become disengaged with people around you. And it's not doing what you're hoping it's going to do. So I just want to challenge us. That as we go through the holiday season. And you know what? This last week I looked at my screen time. I didn't have a very good week. So I need people to help me out. But to put these things down. And to put them aside and to be present with each other. It powerfully shapes the effect of joy that we, that we have and experience in life. In fact, doctors are saying that the more time we spend on our phones, the more depressed we are becoming. And so for people who desire to find joy this holiday season, let's put our tablets aside. Let's put our phones away. The text message can be caught up with later. The email can be followed up later. That phone call, maybe it's got to go to voicemail. But the opportunity we have to be present with each other, it's more important. And in a season where we're called to be friends and neighbors and dads and moms and brothers and sisters, that work is the call of Jesus in our lives to live with obedience and to be present rather than satisfying another addicting hunger. Keep going. One last point. And it's something that we can practice, not just in this season, but always. And it's the work of adoption, of appreciating and reflecting on the work that Jesus does in us. You heard in that video that it was a part of the Jewish culture. The dads would take their boys or their, or their daughters, they'd take their kids, and they'd hold them in their lap. And as they looked at their child, they would give them a name. They would accept them. They would embrace them. They would call them their own. And they would look down, and it was a significant part of the dad's job to embrace that child, to choose to love that young life that was in their hand. So Joseph, out of obedience, knowing that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, out of obedience, he picks up that child, and he steps forward obediently as the Holy Spirit and as the Father had invited him to do. He looked at that young life and he said, his name is Jesus. Three times I've had the opportunity to hold my kids. June the 25th, 2006, I looked at my daughter and he said, her name's Claire. On August, uh, April the 16th, 2008, we held our boy and we said, his name's Jaden. On September the 9th, 2011, held our daughter and we said her name's Avery. And similarly, friends, when the father looks at us, figuratively he holds us in his hand. Spiritually he does it for real. He holds us in his hand and he says they're mine. He adopts us. He brings us into the family and when we pray to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there's a work in our lives called adoption that takes place. Because of our sin, we remove ourselves from the family of God. But when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we appreciate that he died on the cross for our sins, that he brought us into eternity, that he gives to us his Holy Spirit, that he embraces us and accepts us, when we receive that from the Father, he holds us and he says, they're mine. He holds us into his hand. He invites us into, into his family he does something in our lives that we could never do for ourselves. And he embraces us. It's 
says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you're in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought, you a, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. And so when we understand the work that Jesus has done, in this season there's a call on our lives not just to understand in it, but to marvel in it. Jesus, or sorry, Joseph sits at the feet of Jesus and he appreciates, because he's a righteous man, he knows the prophetic word, he appreciates the work that's being done. That young life wasn't just a young uh, crying baby. That was the king that came to deliver humanity from the grips of hell. And he did something for us that we never could have done for ourselves. And it's been my experience, and it's been my observation, that when we, when we sit in awe of this work, God fills us in fresh ways that we could never buy or we never could pur purchase for ourselves. God does something for us when we just sit in awe and we marvel at him. And I think this is the posture of the Christmas story. It's that, it's that shepherds and magi, it's that Mary and Joseph come and sit at the feet of Jesus and they marvel in the work that he does. Friends, when we marvel, it doesn't just happen in the Christmas season, but when we marvel daily at that work, it, become, it begins to fill us. It overwhelms us. It gives us a sense of awe and it blesses us even when life gets so hard and so tough. And so the daily practice of thanking Jesus for the gospel, the daily practice of sitting in awe, the daily understanding that Jesus has, has removed the curse of sin, that he's forgiven us for our sins, that that work is now and it's ongoing, it changes us and it lifts us. And it causes us to become gospel-centered people. We need this, friends. Life is hard. Life is miserable. You watch the news. We watched the news together last night, and it was just like, oh my goodness, there's no reason to get up tomorrow morning. <laughs> and yet, because of what Jesus has done for us and in us, there's every reason to get up today. There's every reason to be filled with joy. There's every reason to come to church and to praise the Savior, the King who comes in this season. And so what child is this? He's the one who gives us joy. He's the joy giver. What child is this? He's the one who stepped out of heaven and steps into our lives. What child is this? He's the one that takes us on the better journeys. And because of that, when we do, we will experience something in this season that we're supposed to know. That deep down in our hearts, we're supposed, we, we know we're supposed to find. And through our lives, we can experience when we're obedient, when we're present, and when we know that we're adopted. For 12 years with kids, for 18 years as a married couple, for 22 years together, 
It seems that every time we come into this season, there's something that isn't quite right. There's not enough money to buy all the gifts. The schedule's too full. There's just too much going on. There's difficulty in the world. There's difficulty in our lives. But what we've discovered as a family is that when we live this out, when we're obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, when we're present together and look to Jesus, when we reflect daily on the work of Jesus in our lives, there is joy that surpasses understanding that can come. And it's ours to behold. Life is crazy and life is hard. But my dear friends, it's not defeated. And when we want to know the joy of Joseph, when we want to be filled with the with the joy of Jesus, then we have to be obedient, present, and reflective. And if we can practice this this holiday season, I'm almost ready to promise you, I won't give you any money if it doesn't come true because my warranties don't work like that, but I can almost promise you that your joy quotient is going to go straight north, that it's going to fill and it's going to increase as you come and you sit at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray together. Spirit of the living God, I want to ask you to fall fresh upon us today. And God, as we come into this season, I'm well aware that there's, there's lots of midlife interruptions that are taking place in this room. There's lots of the little moments. There's also some really big ones. And so God, I just want to ask and, and I want to pray that in a fresh way, you would fill us to overflowing with your joy this holiday season. Would you show us the opportunities we have to be obedient and to step into one another's lives? Would you show us the, 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 the promptings, the callings that we have to walk in step with you in the spaces and places that you're leading us to? Would you help us to quiet our hearts and to create space in our lives so that we can be present with each other and with you? Oh God, there's such value in that. There's such joy in that. And Jesus, today, would we have fresh reminders of your gospel work in our lives? Would we be reminded that you weren't defeated, but that you've overcome the curse of sin in our lives? Would we be reminded that eternity is ours to hold? Would we be reminded that the Holy Spirit is alive and living in us? That you stepped out of heaven and you stepped into our lives and you didn't just leave, save us and then leave us to find our own way. No, Jesus, you moved into the neighborhood and you step with us each and every single day filling us with deeper measures of joy, filling our joy quotient, helping us to look to the heavens in fresh ways, and with awe and wonder, with the awe and wonder of the shepherds and the magi and the parents of the king, look to you with awe. Jesus, we worship you here today. We thank you for your word that speaks into our hearts. Father, may your joy be ours to hold. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.